Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. into another episode of the damn podcast here on the 24 7 sports podcast network and powered by beaverblitz.com i'm your host carter baines joined as always by beaverblitz.com publisher angie machado and this week by cougfan.com beat writer jamie vinnick who is here to help us preview oregon state's homecoming game against washington state at research stadium 6 p.m on the pac-12 network if you haven't gotten the ticket to go check that out, you are out of luck. That is a sold-out game now, so head to the secondary market or watch it with us at beaverblitz.com in our game thread. We will have coverage throughout the night. Hopefully, we are not taking you away from the riveting Thursday night football game that is going on right now. I'm sure um, if you're watching that, you're not missing much. You're not missing much. Uh, scoreless at, at last check going into the half. Uh, I watched the Mariners game earlier today. Still recovering from that. Big Mariners fan. I see. I see Jamie shaking his head too. I was going to ask him if he's a big Mariners fan too, being from Washington. And, and what did they lose? I, I did not watch. They did. Yeah. They did. Unfortunately. Are they out of it now? Sorry. Another hard no, one more. Probably. Okay. One more. Two, okay. Or three. Yeah. But one. Yeah. Best three out of five. They're heading back to Seattle on uh, on Saturday. But uh, Angie's still in Arizona, so just. Just a, a quick check in there. How was Sedona? Angie, Angie was, went up to Sedona today. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I'd never been up there, so um, checked it out. Checked out a little ghost town, copper mining town called Jerome. And yeah, it was interesting. Nice little drive. Get out of the heat a little bit. But um, it was 90, I think 97 here in Phoenix today. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Still nice uh, over here in Oregon. It was about 80-ish today in Perfect. the middle of October. Not going to complain. I, we could be looking at at a kickoff temperature in the 80s for this game on Saturday, which is really bizarre considering this thing's on October 15th. But um, since we've got Jamie Vinnick with us today, we're going to run through a bunch of Washington State stuff in the first half of the show. Uh, then we'll get him out of there and, and let him go back and, and watch that that scoreless, just absolute classic on on prime video. <laughs> nope, uh, nope. And then we'll uh, <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> and then we'll talk all sorts of news from Oregon state, some keys to the game and look around the pack 12. We'll answer some damn questions if we have time as well at the end of the show. But Jamie, first of all, thanks for joining us. Uh, second of all, just tell the listeners a little bit about you, where you're based, how long you've been covering the Cougs. Uh, if you're going to be at the game on Saturday, let's uh, let's little learn a little bit about Jamie Vinnick. Yeah, so I've been with Kook fans since the spring of 2019. Um, was basically hired to cover basketball at first and was doing kind of like a, you know, a part-time thing. It's, you know, beat right for basketball. Oh, hey, we need this football article done. All right, go ahead. Or we need, uh, you know, a recruiting story done. So was mostly doing part-time. And at that point, I was still a student at Washington State. Uh, I graduated in 2020, um, right at the height of the pandemic. Uh, moved back to the west side of the state of Washington for about a year um, and just was still kind of doing the part-time really as the pandemic was in its peak. Um, I was just home with my family in a uh, city called Sammamish, about 20 minutes east of Seattle. Um, and, and then I got a message asking if I wanted to go back and cover fall camp last August. Uh, and basically made a comment like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go to Pullman. It's, you know, like my favorite place. And 
one of my bosses at Kook fan said, well, shoot, I assumed you wanted to be near Seattle. If you want to move back to Pullman, we can talk about that. So <laughs> everything happened pretty quick. And within a month, I had moved back here um, and I've been on the, the football beat now for about a year and two, three months. And uh, yeah, and the second season covering it, this one a little less eventful, but uh, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's fun. It's busy. It's busy, but you know, it's been a fun team to cover good personalities. You know, the players and coaches are all very cool. So um, and, you know, an opportunity to cover the the school that I graduated from. So uh, it's a pretty cool opera, pretty cool job to have. And, you know, it's uh, it's funny telling my friends, oh, I got to go. I got to go to work. Well, where are you going? Uh, Martin Stadium or Beasley Coliseum, wherever. <laughs> so, no, it's uh, I'm blessed to be able to do it. Yeah, we can we can definitely relate to that. Living on the Palouse, too. That's that's another another perk of the job. I've been up there a handful of times myself. And it's I mean, it's a beautiful area if, if you don't mind only having a few things to do. Uh, in in Pullman or or Moscow, if you cross the state lines, um, but yeah, it's it's an awesome place, and and again, one of the reasons why college football is so great because you can have teams up there and in the quote unquote middle of nowhere pull off crazy upsets from time to time, as as Washington State sure has done. Um, Angie, if, if, do you want to get this Q and A up and rolling here as we kind of dive into Washington State, get Jamie's expertise on a few things? Yeah, definitely. Jamie, thank you, first of all, for, for coming in and joining us tonight. It's always more fun when we can have a, an expert for the other team join us on a Thursday night pod. Um, talk to, talk, tell me a little bit about Washington State. Um, you know, like I, I know their front seven is, is really kind of fearsome. Maybe start there and, and just tell Beaver fans what they need to be on the lookout for with this team this weekend. Yeah, I think, you know, the name Washington State has been synonymous with offense for a long time. You know, you go with Mike Leach and you're putting up 40 points a game and throwing for 50 touchdowns and eight trillion yards every year, but it was never much of a defensive team. They had some good defensive teams, some good defensive players. This team's identity is the opposite. The offense is a little, but a bit of an adventure. There's been good, there's been bad, but the defense really has been good with the exception being uh, the Oregon game. And even to that, I would say, I think a lot of that was more Oregon had a really good game plan offensively. Washington State was shorthanded in the secondary and on the interior. But the front seven is the strength of this team and, and overall is the strength of this team. Um, two of the better edges in the conference, Brennan Jackson and Ron Stone Jr. And they have a lot of depth there. They can go down to guys like Quinn Roth and Andrew Edson, even Lawrence Falatea. So it's a deeper edge group than it was last year, but they're producing in different ways. So last year, Wazoo only had 21 sacks, um, which didn't really replicate the pressure they got. This year, they've got more. But it's not quite to where they want to be. The edges only have six sacks. Stone was probably the best returning edge in the conference last year. Only has one sack. And he's been double teamed a lot. But it hasn't quite been the production you've expected. Jackson's been an absolute menace. He's been, you know, probably first team all conference level. But the big way that the front seven has been so disruptive is the linebacking core. And this is the best linebacking core Wazoo has had in a long time. And that's saying something because they had a couple veterans in Jihad Woods and Justice Rogers over the last several years, but Dayon Henley has come in from Nevada and just been an absolute phenom. I mean, so I think second in the conference in, in sacks, second in the conference, maybe in tackles for loss. Uh, he's second in tackles. He is amongst the absolute best the conference has had to offer this year. And he just does things in a different way. The comparison I always made is Woods and Rogers were the Bobby Wagner types, you know, the, the just tackle machines, kind of your traditional linebacker. Henley's more of a Micah Parsons. He does everything. He comes off the edge. He can tackle in space. He can drop into coverage. I mean, Wazoo won their opening game against Idaho because Henley's downfield on a receiver and comes up with an interception on the goal line. So he's probably been the biggest thing that's transformed this defense, but they have several good linebackers. Travion Brown is having the best year of his career, and Francisco Mangoa went from being kind of a, you know, an exciting but erratic freshman threw some big hits, missed a lot of tackles to being a very steady presence, still bringing that physicality. So the identity of this team does come with their front seven. Their interior defensive line is solid. They don't have one real superstar. They don't have a, an all-conference guy. But they've got four to five guys that are reliable in what you can expect them to do. They're not going to really get bullied off the line too much. That wasn't necessarily the case last year. 49 tackles for loss, ranks fourth in FBS, 19 sacks is 11th in the country. And those are, I mean, those are stats that jump off the page and catch your eye right away and tell me that that is Washington State's uh, identity this year. Obviously, they have a defensive-minded head coach in Jake Dickert. They've been improving on that side of the ball in recent years. And I'm glad you brought up 
Uh, I'm glad you you touched on Henley there because I was going to have you dive deep into him and and just kind of talk about what has made him the leader of that that unit. But um, you've already you've already touched on him a bunch. But you know maybe maybe take us a little further in that recruiting process to bring him over from Nevada. Um, the the kind of leader he has maybe developed into because I mean you look at the stat sheet and like. I mean, all of these guys have like five tackles for loss to their name, a couple of sacks, you know, some quarterback hurries, but he leads the group in tackles. He's got the most tackles for loss. Why is he, you know, what, what makes him such a good player, I guess, is, is the, uh, the question there. Athleticism. I think that's the, the number one thing that stands out. <clears throat> this was a guy who was a high school quarterback and then was a college receiver and was a college kick returner. And within the last couple of years, it's not like, you know, oh, he got there in 2016 returns for your he was returning kicks within the last couple of years and is just his speed, his athleticism. He, he is truly the definition of a freak athlete. Um, you know, he, you, you look at him, you know, when he's on the field and he just, he looks the part, you know, he, he's got the look of a star college football player, but then there's instincts too. He's got great instincts. And I, and I think that that's matches match with his athleticism. That's what makes him so good. That's what makes him such a disruptive figure. And then I think in terms of leadership, it comes with his personality. I mean, this guy is as entertaining as an interview as we've seen in a long time here. I mean, every time you're going to get six to seven minutes and there's going to be some kind of quote that's totally off the wall. I mean, he, he is a he is a character, and I think that comes out on the field. He's very vocal. He's kind of the guy that they rally – him and uh, Ron Stone and Brennan Jackson. Um, and I'll throw Armani Mar- Marsh in there as well. Those are the four guys they kind of rally around on defense. But – you know, it's just a, it's an interesting scenario of a guy who was at Nevada. Uh, you know, the Wazoo hired Nevada's defensive coordinator, Brian Ward. Henley had a lot of options. His other suitors at the time of his commitment were UW, USC, and Kansas State. So we're talking about a guy that a lot of teams wanted. Eventually, it's, you know, the, the connection with Ward um, that, that kind of, you know, ends up being the, the deciding factor. Jake Dickard actually said after the USC game, kind of made a reference to the fact that USC came in with the with some NIL money and tried to, to sway him there. He's from Los Angeles. His dad's actually a hip hop mogul named Eugene Big U Henley. I mean, a guy who was involved with like Death Row Records and Snoop Dogg. And so he kind of comes from a very You're interesting. You're speaking Angie's language there. Oh, yeah. Sorry That's to interrupt language. you, but I mean, <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I just think the fit has been perfect. And I think that Washington State getting him as a transfer. It, it, it the defense would not be the same without him. And that, that probably sounds obvious because if you look at the numbers, you take away that production, what are you looking at? But he has really kind of, I think, taken on the identity of the team in his own way, especially defensively. So some swagger there, definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's got a ton of swagger. <laughs> so switching gears over to the offensive side of the ball, you know, Cameron Ward comes in pretty hyped up from a smaller school, Incarnate Word. Has he lived up to the expectations and hype? It's a good question, and um, I think – I don't want to say no outright because I do think that maybe some of the hype was unfair. Um, not that Cam is not extremely talented, but I do think that there was a lot of pressure put on him, maybe not by the coaches, but by the fans and the media. He's replacing Jaden Delora, who's an offensive – you know, the Pac-12 offensive freshman of the year, was a very polarizing figure, we'll, we'll put it lightly, um, at Washington State. Obviously, his on-the-field you know, uh, talent was incredible. His off the field stuff, uh, you know, drew the ire of some fans. But there's a long line of really good quarterbacks. You go back to Anthony Gordon and Luke Falk and Gardner Minshew and Connor Halliday. You know, there's pressure to follow those footsteps. And I think what we've seen from Ward is that he's he's definitely talented. Um, there's no doubting the talent he has. I think there's a little bit of some raw aspects to his game. I think he was maybe people thought he was a little more polished. Okay. And I think there's. There are moments where it's like, all right, he makes a throw. Yeah, that's completed in the Southland Conference. You're at Incarnate Word, that's a touchdown. Back 12 defensive backs aren't so forgiving. And there was a couple against Cal where you probably get away with that in the FCS. You're not getting away with that here. So, you know, on one hand, he's got 15 touchdowns. The completion percentage is good. He hasn't been awful in any game. I mean, I, USC, he wasn't great. Wisconsin, he wasn't great. But even against Wisconsin, he closed the game really well. He made some really big plays late against Wisconsin. Uh, the same thing against Cal. Wazoo has a lead the entire game. Cal scores early in the fourth quarter. Suddenly, it's a close game. Right after Wazoo had blown a lead to Oregon, Ward comes up, makes some really big plays, and then throws probably his best ball of the year to a touchdown for Renard Bell 
or for a touchdown to Renard Bell. So I think he's got some of that moxie and he's definitely confident, but I, I think he's still kind of trying to find that, that, uh, that sense of what you can and can't do at this level. And often the offensive coordinator, Eric Morris has said as much. I mean, he has said that, you know, there's a lot of good that's cam that cam's done, but there's a lot of things that still need to be improved upon. And cam has said as much himself. I mean, he's not sitting here saying, Oh, what I'm doing is fine. You know, uh, it's not my fault, you know, directing the blame. He's saying these are, that's my mistake. I mean, he talked about uh, the Cal interceptions and said, I can't make that throw. That That's a throw I can't make. So I think the okay, accountability is good to see. And he's young. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 20 years old, so he's not a, a fourth or fifth year veteran. He's a young quarterback. And I think he's still doing some things that represent a young quarterback, but I think you see the talent and what it could become a couple years down the line. Some of those FCS tendencies, I, I mean, without a doubt, would come back to bite him against Oregon State's defensive backfield, which, as Jake Dickert said in his Monday press conference, is, is one of the best secondaries Washington State has faced and, and could very well be the best in the conference this year. The Beavers, on the flip side, do have a tough matchup against Ward himself and a pretty talented group of wide receivers. Obviously, Washington State's bread and butter has been the passing game the last, what, decade practically at this point. The coup grade is back. You know, there's still a, a pass happy offense, even with a quarterback that maybe, you know, might be a little more dual threat than, than some of the past, you know, Cam Ward can make plays with his legs. He can escape the pocket. Um, but with regard to that scheme in particular and, and what they're asking Cameron Ward to do, what they're asking the receivers to do, how similar is it to what Mike Leach was running, you know, when he was there a couple of years ago and, and what are some of the differences? I mean, I see a tight end in the lineup, which obviously we haven't seen in what, like 15 years at Washington state. So there are some differences for sure, but still a pass heavy offense. 11 years to be exact. The last tight end that had caught a ball prior to this season was the Apple cup in 2011. Uh, the last year before Leach. Crazy. It's, it's got air raid concepts. Um, it's more of what you might be seeing Cliff Kingsbury run in the, in the NFL with the Cardinals. More of what Graham Harrell was doing at USC. It is not the Leach air raid. They are not dropping back and throwing 70 times a game. Uh, not every pass or not every play is a pass play that can be checked out of. There is a tight end. They do run the ball. It's still very pass heavy. Leach also would run three to four plays, you know, religiously and just would run them really well. It, it hasn't been that. Now, it, it has concepts. Eric Morse is a Leach disciple. So he, what he learned came from Leach, but he has his own wrinkle. They do use the running back a lot more. Um, and, and I think Wazoo's has some talented running backs that they've been able to use. Now, one of those, Nakia Watson, out for this game, out for an indefinite amount of time. Uh, probably won't see him again until the end of the year. Jalen Jenkins, a freshman back who probably fits the scheme better, rushes for 130 yards against USC last year, which, you know, that seeing a, a running back rush for 100 yards in Mike Leach's offense didn't usually happen. It would occasionally happen, but not very often. So I think Jenkins is actually, I'm not going to say an upgrade, but I think he might be a better fit, especially in the scat back style. He can get out of the back, he can catch passes. But it, it is a little different. I also think that Leach relied so heavily on the underneath routes. The eight-yard quick outs, quick slants, quick curls it doesn't quite have that effect. It's more of an over the middle crossing route, a lot of tunnel screens, which was the same as Leach. And it, it hasn't had the vertical effect. And part of that's because the offensive line has been up and down. And part of that's because I just don't think they've tapped into it yet. There, there's still been some, some kinks they're working out. You know, the air raid was here three years ago, but a lot of the guys on this roster were not running the air raid. Ward didn't run the air raid. Uh, Donovan Aldi was recruited into the air raid, but basically only ran the run and shoot. Dijon Stribling, purely run and shoot. Renard Bell ran the air raid, but he's hurt. Robert Farrell was running uh, this version at Incarnate Word. And then Lincoln Victor was a run and shoot guy. So it's not like they have a bunch of holdovers from Leach that just know the air raid. Oh, it's the same offense. So it, there is still some kind of work in progress type stuff to get to where they want to be with the air raid. It's still kind of being instilled a little bit. So you mentioned the offensive line. This game... I, th I mean, I think there's some similarities between both teams, defense being strong for Oregon State, offense still kind of struggling. Um, Coach Dickert actually had mentioned that he does see this game being won in the trenches. Talk to me a little bit about Washington State's O-line, because I know your D-line is super, super solid, but talk to me about that offensive line. It's <laughs> adventure. We'll, we'll put it that way. It's not bad. I'm not, I'm not on one. I love this. Carter, we got to remember this. 
instead of saying things are yeah, it's, an, it, adventure. it's an adventure. <laughs> yes, that's one of my go-tos. I, I won't say it's bad because I don't think it's bad, but it's a bit of a roller coaster. There are there are scenarios where they look really good. Second half against Cal, they were awesome. Uh, I thought they did a really good job against Wisconsin. They struggled a little bit against USC. They really struggled uh, in the second half against Colorado State. They were decent enough against Idaho, um, Oregon. Again, it, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag, and, and they're shorthanded a little bit right now. Uh, Grant Stevens was ejected for targeting against USC. I could go on a rant for about 30 minutes about that, about an offensive lineman getting ejected for blocking, but I digress. So they're going to be starting probably Falili Fa'amo, who is going to be making his first ever appearance on the offensive line. He played; he was a defense alignment until this year. Um, he'll probably be playing right tackle. They'll slide Ma'ake Fafita down to right guard for that first half. The right side has been where it's been a bit of a struggle. Fafita has struggled a little bit, to, to say the least. He was a guard last year. They moved him outside. It, it's been a bit of a work in progress. Connor Gondis has been solid at center. Uh, Christian Hillborn... He actually made his first career start in the Sun Bowl last year, and that was bad. I mean, in, in no uncertain terms, it was a bad showing. I think his his PFF grade in that game for pass blocking was zero. Uh, but he has taken incredible strides, and he's actually been decent enough. And then Jarrett Kingston at left tackle has been quite good. So um, the splits in in running the ball has actually been interesting. Nikia Watson's uh, yards per carry to the left side, night and day better than the right side. Jalen Jenkins way better to the right side. So it's a little interesting how it kind of all plays out. But the line, I mean, they're not going to be the line that gets beat 11 times a game for for sacks. It's not going to be an absolute embarrassment, but they are, they can be vulnerable and they haven't been great in run blocking. I think it's 18 sacks now, 38 tackles for loss allowed. It's just, it's, and some of that is Ward does scramble. So he does run himself into some sacks sometimes, but it was expected to be a, a bit of a, a question mark for the team. And I think they've been a little bit better than expected, but it still just has not quite been consistent enough. And that's the big thing that uh, both Dickard and Morris have talked about is they just need the consistency. If they can be consistency, so, consistently solid, they'll be okay, but they'll have situations where they're here and it's all good. And then all of a sudden it's here a little bit, then it's great. And then it's so it's young. It's a young line. It's got a lot of guys playing new positions. Um, Hillborn was a tackle that moved to guard. Fafita was a guard that moved to tackle. Even Stevens was a guard or as a tackle at Northern Colorado and is now playing guard. The only guy that was is back in his position from last year is Gomez. Kingston was the left guard and he kicked out to left tackle. So there's been a lot of breaking in and I think they've steadily gotten better, but it, it's still a it's still a bit of an adventure. Opportunities for sure for the Oregon State front seven, which I think is kind of looking to reestablish itself in the pass rush after a couple of weeks of more working to contain the pocket. Uh, maybe we see that aggressive style of play come back uh, from Oregon State against an offensive line that you know might not be as strong as, as some of the ones that has faced in, in recent weeks. I want to shift gears here and, and touch a little bit on some of the program-wide storylines entering this, uh, this contest. Jake Dickert said on Monday, um, but he, you know, he, he praised Jonathan Smith for the work that, that Smith has done at Oregon state in, in building this program back up. And that's something that has, has kind of been a trend from opposing coaches this year. Um, you know, I've, I've been listening to listening into all of the opposing coaches press conferences, and I'd say about 75% of them have, have just mentioned the work that Smith has done in getting the Beavers back into contention. Washington state sort of a similar process of, of, you know, building a roster around a new coach, but the floor being higher when Jake Dickert came in, I, I think, you know, it's, it's not exactly a, you know, you're looking in the mirror situation here, but Jake Dickert did say that Washington state is in a rebuilding process of their own. They're not in a rebuild. Please. So th that's my question. That's my question. <laughs> How much truth is there to that? You know, is he's building a roster for sure, but is he, is he truly rebuilding this program? I think in a way, yes. Now, I don't think it's the standard, oh, you've, you know, what Jonathan Smith came in to do, that was a, a complete rebuild where you're taking over a program from, from rock bottom and building them back up. I think with the way Dickert is saying it is he's kind of re, um, retooling or kind of rebuilding like the image of it. Now, he's not saying, oh, I was left with nothing. I have to build this thing back up. I think what, what he means by that is, He's kind of building the team in his own yeah. mind. It's different sense. than what 
Rolovich was, it's different than what Leach was. And I think he's kind of the middle ground. Leach was a very hard, old school, you know, I don't care whose feelings I hurt, we're going to win. Rolovich was a pure players coach. Dickert's kind of the balance between that, which I think is good for the players. But I think, yeah, he's kind of talked about one of the slogans is the new wazoo. Um, So I think when he says rebuilding, that's what he means is that we're building our own program. We're not, you know, taking what Rolovich did or what Leach did. We're, We're building our own program. And if you do look at a lot of the guys that are playing, a lot of them are either his recruits or guys that he's developed, especially on defense. I mean, most of the, he handled a lot of the defensive recruiting and a lot of these guys that are playing big roles were either guys that he recruited or guys he developed, you know, Brennan Jackson's a great example of a guy that that was recruited by the leech staff. Brennan Jackson was an anomaly. He was just a guy or anomaly, not anonymous, not anomaly um, was just a guy until the 2020 season Dickard and AJ Cooper arrive. You know, he gets healthy. He goes from being kind of a scrawny, you know, 210 pound edge to a physical specimen and suddenly he's among the best edges in the conference. So I think that's where he's kind of rebuilt the program to. He's taken some guys that, again, were just not anything under the previous regimes. Christian Mejia is another one who was with the program for several years and, and you know, saw a couple games in, in garbage time, and now is probably their top interior defender. Uh, so I, I think he's kind of built a lot of these guys into what he views them. Armani Marsh was a walk-on nickel who was, oh, that's a nice story. He's a Spokane kid. He's now an all-conference caliber nickel. Um, There were a lot of guys, and this was a big thing that people talked about last year. There were a lot of guys still from Leach's 2019 defense, which was a terrible defense, that suddenly under Dickert's direction and Dickert's defense became very good players. Marsh being one of them, Justice Rogers, George Hicks, Daniel Isom. uh, I think that's kind of what his mindset has been, is we can take these guys and build them into – the players we believe they can be. And, and, and I, yeah, when you're speaking, it, it made me think too. And really Washington state was always known as this offensive team. Like we talked about earlier and they just were hoping they'd outscore you, but making that, you know, rebuilding into more of a defensive power. I remember joking last year, well, Wazoo was in Utah um, and the Utah scored, I think to go up 17, 13, about five minutes left. And I remember texting my dad after the game and saying, can you imagine at this time a year or two ago saying, Man, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to score in five minutes. We knew we would score in five minutes. Would they score again would be the bigger question. So I think it was a it was a bit of a shift for a lot of people to kind of get used to now a defensive coach. And games can be won 17 to 14 if you look at the Wisconsin game. Not every game. It doesn't have to be 64 to 56. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be the, the Wazoo-Oregon State game from 2019 where yep. whoever has the ball last is going to win because yep. no one was going to get a stop. No. And, and one thing that, you know, as you run through the line of, of recent Washington state coaches, one thing that all of those have in common is that they have beat Oregon state a handful of times in a row. I mean, this is an eight game win streak in this series. This thing goes way back. Uh, you take that, you take that streak out and it's essentially just kind of a, you know, just kind of a 50, 50 series, but the recent success has gone to the Cougs this year. You look at what the stakes are. I mean, these are two teams that come into the game at four and two, two teams that I think we're we're looking to use this season as kind of a springboard into the top half of the Pac-12. Both have done that so far. And and now this game, I think, comes with the stakes of the loser probably being eliminated from Pac-12 title contention. I, you know, I think Oregon State would probably need a little bit of help to get there, even with a win. Um but it, it feels like this is a game where, you know, the winner feels like it's taken that next step and the loser is like, man, we just got we just have a little bit more work to do before we're where we want to be. Is is that kind of, you know, your your read on, on this game? Yeah, I think to a degree, I, I will say that Washington State's schedule after this game gets a lot easier. They've got Utah next mm-hmm. week or after the bye, excuse me, they're on a bye next week and they've got Utah on a Thursday in Pullman. But then it's Stanford and it's Arizona and it's Arizona State um, and it's Washington. So you you know Wazoo fans look at those and say those are four winnable games. Um, two of them at home. You've got Arizona on the road, which who knows how that's going to turn out with Jaden Lohr on the other side. And the Cougs have had similar success against Stanford lately. They've won five in a row. Probably should have been six, but there were some uh, some interesting events in the game in 2015. A, a missed field goal late, a controversial Christian McCaffrey fumble ruling. But anyways, um, I, I think that there is a lot of this season. I think this game dictates a lot of what the opinion is for Wazoo. If they go to five and two, 
there's the belief that, man, this team could maybe win nine games. You know, can they go, uh, you know, finish off the season four and one? They go to four and three. It's uh, probably seven and five. Uh, maybe they can, you know, get hot and go eight and four. But um, I, I do think that this game probably changes the perception because there are still some some people who aren't thrilled with how things have gone. The offense hasn't been to what people expected. Um, you know, a lot of people have tried to, you know, uh, jump on the Wisconsin when, oh, it's not that impressive now because Wisconsin's not that good. And it's fair. Wisconsin's not what everyone expected. I would just push that it's still a winning Camp Randall Stadium. It doesn't matter how good Wisconsin is. It's Wisconsin on the road. But people have kind of, you know, oh, I don't know if they're as good maybe as we thought. Um, the thing I point out is in Jake Dickert's now 7-5, and five, and his losses are two ranked Oregon teams, a ranked USC team, a borderline ranked BYU team last year, and then Central Michigan in a bowl game in which Washington State was down four starters and Jaden Lohr got hurt at half. So, you know, the, the one thing that Dickert has not had is a loss to a, a team that isn't on that cusp of that top 25. So I think that, you know, there's belief that they can win this game. Um, you know, there's the past successes. There's a fact that I know Oregon State has questions at quarterback and the style that Oregon State kind of has, that running style, Washington State's had success against um, in, in terms of the Wisconsin victory and the Cal victory. But I do think there are still questions uh, of the road um, and how Washington State will perform on the road and how they'll perform in, uh, against a good Oregon State team and an Oregon State team that I think a lot of Kook fans feel like, oh, man, it, it could be that time. You know, the same way for Kook fans last year, it was time to win the Apple Cup. Is it time for Oregon State to end this streak on, or at home? So I, I don't know if there's a full belief that, oh, the, the Pac-12 relies on this. I think it's going to be tough for either team to climb back in just with the way USC and UCLA look, with the way Oregon looks. But I, I think it's fair to say that if either team loses, that whichever team loses this game probably is going to be looking at the middle of the pack, whereas the winner might still have an outside shot to kind of climb up if they can surprise either, uh, you know, surprise, I guess for Wazoo, surprise Utah, maybe get some help. If Oregon State can can beat Oregon, then those those opportunities may still be there. Absolutely. That's Jamie Vinnick of Cougfan.com joining us. Jamie, we'll get you out of here, let you enjoy the rest of your Thursday evening. But before you bounce, got to get a score prediction from you. And, and you can read his score prediction at beaverblitz.com and behind enemy lines. Uh, Jamie was grateful enough to to share some analysis with us there. But uh, just a quick prediction on, on how this game unfolds and, and who you see coming out on top. And, and then we'll let you get out of here. Yeah, I just I see a low scoring game. And I think that that's probably OK with both of these teams. I, I think lastly, one of the things I talked about is USC wanted to play a high scoring game. Wazoo is more than happy to play the the, uh, you know, the 17, 14 game. And it's ironic talking about a low scoring game between these teams. You look back over the games, 54-53, 56-37. There was never any need for defense. It was who's going to score more. So um, I, I just think that the questions that, or that Oregon State have at quarterback right now, I can't kind of look. That's the one thing that's kind of holding me up and saying, can that can Oregon State do enough in the passing game? And the fact that Wazoo has had very, very, uh, very successful defensive games against run-heavy teams, I'm going 24-20 Wazoo. Um, but I, I just, I think it's a close game. I think it comes down to the last couple possessions. Good Could call. not I'm agree good. more. I agree too. That's Jamie Vinnick beat writer at Cougfan.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Vinnick nine. Please do so. He has great analysis on all things, Washington state. And when the Mariners are playing Jamie, when our Mariners are playing, uh, he'll he'll drop a few tidbits on them. Uh, as well. I was going to say that you have to add the disclaimer that there will be some Mariner tweets, yeah. rants, um, <laughs> frustrations in there as well. Of course. All right, Jamie, go enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Uh, I, I wish I could say that we see the same, uh, you know, we're, we're going into this football game on the same perspective, but at least we have baseball to talk about. So, yeah, for at least one more game, hopefully. Yeah. Well, we, we do agree on two things that we need to beat that both teams need to beat the Huskies and the Ducks. So, very true. Uh, we're all for one on that. So, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> or you guys, still pick up the slack. You two know on that. We'll go. We'll go one and zero on the other half. Okay, sounds good. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for having right. me on, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jamie. Jamie Vinnick of Cougfan.com joining us here on this episode of the Damn Podcast. 
just great stuff. 24-7 sports, man, I, I tell you, just has some of the best experts out there. Seriously, on that's the first time I've team. talked with Jamie. So great. Just an incredible insight and and a good advertisement too for, for 24-7 sports and beaverblitz.com. We love having experts on the damn podcast, on Behind Enemy Lines every week. Uh, and you can go read that with a VIP subscription to beaverblitz.com. Head over there, take advantage of, of all of the great content that... Uh, Jamie produces that that we've been producing throughout the week. That's behind the paywall. You can only get that with a subscription to beaverblitz.com. Uh, so be sure to head over there and, and, and do that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Angie, let's switch gears here as we enter the second half of this game preview episode of the damn podcast. Lots of news out of Corvallis this week, right? I mean, let's start with the quarterback situation. That's the the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. And I wish I had like a full on answer for fans because I know they all want to know. But as of Monday, uh, Smith had said that um, Chance Nolan was still not going to be practicing Tuesday. Carter, we talked a little bit, bit about this earlier in the week. What, what are your thoughts? We, we had our podcast, I guess, Monday. Do you still, does your gut still tell you that it's going to be Ben getting the, getting the start? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I've been saying all week, I, I think this is less than a 50-50 chance that we see Chance Nolan this week. And um, actually, Jonathan Smith went on Jean Canzano's Bald Face Truth show yesterday and, and said that Ben is, quote, heading towards starting. Yeah. So it does, in Jonathan fact, Jonathan doesn't want like to tip his hat, dip it, tip his hand. But right. um, he also said the week before that if Chance couldn't, take the majority of the snaps during the week with the first team, he would not be starting. So I think that kind of carries over as well. And that's why I've been saying that I think this is Ben's job this week. And, you know, and, until we hear word that Chance Nolan has officially returned to practice, um, there's, you know, there, there's no reason for us to believe that he'll practice because Smith has said that he needs close to, if not a full week of practice and and to look good doing it, mind you, yeah. uh, in, in order to, to get that job back. I'm curious what the situation is next week because obviously you're going to have a bye week looming after Colorado. So, yeah. you know, do you see Ben get another week and then you evaluate things at the bye week? I don't know. I, it's interesting. I, I think that's a, a conversation for next week for sure. But um, going into this week, I'm I'm fully expecting to see Ben Goldbranson uh, under under or behind center for Oregon. Yeah, State. yeah, me too. Um, let me just ask you real quick, Carter. What are your thoughts on that? Does that like I've said all week? I actually like it because I think Ben kind of has a higher ceiling just quick what's your hot take on that i think i agree as, as far as arm talent goes <laughs> i don't know it's it's tough because they do both bring you or they do both different give you very different things and yeah it's going to be I an think, adventure carter it's going to be an yeah, adventure it'll be an adventure for sure i i think what we've seen from chance this season and his ability to to throw the deep ball i think maybe i think it closes the gap between them because for the last, what, three years, you and I have been saying, well, you know, what's going to get Ben onto the field is his ability to take the top off of defenses and, and chuck the ball 50 yards downfield and hit a receiver. Well, Chance Nolan's done that this year. Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that uh, that's not so much of an advantage for Ben uh, at this yeah, but point. Chance Nolan's also tossed six interceptions the last, exactly. you know. Exactly. So it's, you know, it, it comes down to holding onto the ball at, at this point in the season because that's been the biggest weakness of the offense. Um, a, a little bit more from Jonathan Smith on Monday, looking back on the Stanford game, you know, he said, man, that Silas Bolden touchdown was really nice. Cause it was great to show the guys a, a positive play here and there. Yeah, I agree. Like 90% of that game was really poor. And, and Jonathan admitted that, 
Um, another thing that he admitted was that some of the decisions he made, he looked back on and said, I didn't like it. Those okay. two point conversion uh, attempts and, you know, to, to take the knee and, and whatnot. He looked back on that and, and said that he regretted him. How impressed were you with just kind of his self-awareness there? And, and it, I, don't, I don't think it just stops with him. I, you know, I think he has low key kind of called out some of the offensive coaches for the play calling for the decisions they've made in the running back room. I, I mean, mm -hmm. it seems like he has a lot of self-awareness about this coaching staff right now, which we haven't necessarily seen from him in years past. Absolutely. I, I have gained a ton more respect for him for being able just to say that, um, go publicly and say, yeah, I look back at that and I should have done it differently or mm -hmm. he questioning what his coaches, um, and not doing it in a demeaning way, um, or, a, you know, your job's on the line kind of way, but yeah, questioning like, yeah, our play calling needs to get better. We need to put our players in a in a better position to win. And I, I think so much in college football, you either hear lip service like that or you hear, well, the players need to step up and make the plays, putting it on on the players. And it, it's refreshing to because when Smith has said it, it sounds very genuine and that, yeah, we're, we're kind of sitting around thinking, what can we do better to put these guys in a better position? And I do think the play calling has not been um, doing the Beaver offense many favors. And I hope that this week, if Ben is the guy, he's not the most mobile. Washington State's going to try to pin back their ears and come at, after him. I hope they have some quick, quick you know, help, help Ben get the ball out quick. Think back to what Jonathan Smith would say about the Oregon State defense when Tim Tibisar was a defensive coordinator. There were no low-key jabs. There were no, hey, we need to put these guys in better positions. A lot of it did come down to, hey, we need to execute better. We yeah, need we to make to this play, that play. Um, and then, obviously, Tim Tibisar lost his job. And since then, I think Jonathan Smith maybe has been a little bit more transparent and open about the concerns he has with coaching decisions, which I think is... Um, it's, it's a testament to the growth that he's made as a head coach. Cause that's, that could very well be the toughest part of this job. You know, a lot of coaches talk about, Oh, I hate recruiting and all that. Well, you know, it's tough to fire your friends. Jonathan. Yeah. Smith well, that's that, just it. I mean, these and, guys, and now, he's, and now he's being open about it. Yeah. And these guys do, I mean, I don't know how close him and Tibisar were, but you become close in four yeah. years. You spend so many hours together on the road or in the office and with your families. Um, yeah, it, you do become like a family. And if you're not, then you shouldn't be working together. Um, but no, I think he has really grown from that decision. Um, and, and like I said, he's not throwing people under the bus, but he has low key kind of thrown out there just questioning, you know, decisions that were being made offensive, especially on the offensive side. I think defensively, I think he should be feeling pretty good about where the defense is and, and that. But offensive play calling, I don't feel that he's putting those players in the best best position. No, and, and some of that does come back to Smith, but, uh, you know, Oregon State's coaching staff, you look at the offensive side, it's very complex. You know, yeah, you have a yeah. run game coordinator in Jim Mahalchuk, you have a running backs coach in A.J. Stewart, and then you have an offensive coordinator in Brian Lindgren. And so they're all kind of, you know, adding One, their own... And Mahalachek, don't it. forget the run game coordinator in Jim Mahalachek. Yeah, so, I mean, it's 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 very complex. And yeah. I, I think it makes it difficult to kind of pinpoint where the struggles are coming from because... You know, you look at the running back rotation and, and you and I have, you know, been very vocal yeah. about this the last couple of weeks saying Damian Martinez, James Griffin deserve more carries. Well, is that on AJ Stewart? Is it his decision yeah. who gets the call? Is it, does it come down to the play calling of Brian Lindgren? You know, do, do certain guys have certain plays? Is it on Jim Mahalachek be, being the run game coordinator? I mean, we don't really know the, you know, the, the inside Valley football yeah. center conversations that go on when they're game planning. So I'm curious how much comes back because to each coach. Because that rotation is still super heavy. And yeah, there's been no real answer about who, who is making that decision about yeah. who's rotating in and out. Uh, speaking about the running backs, Damien Martinez actually got his first opportunity to speak with the media of his career this week. So cool. So yeah, cool yeah. when Oregon State lets us speak with a, a true freshman because they are off limits, um, technically speaking, until they are made available by Jonathan Smith. And so Damien Martinez spoke on Tuesday just a great interview. You know, he, he looked comfortable in front of the camera. He was dropping great insight about the running back room. Um, so if, if you haven't seen that, go to Beaver Blitz video on YouTube and, and check it out. Uh, it makes me sad though because, be, because that used to be Beaver Blitz's thing. Back when to Riley, fall camp, Beaver Blitz interviewed all the freshmen first. We were the, the one outlet that would get to interview all freshmen first. And now they took it all away. Yep. 
another entertaining interview, Ryan Cooper Jr. on yes. Wednesday uh, after coming down with the game ceiling interception at Stanford, uh, spoke with the media. Incredible poise to yes. survive getting you know cold, frozen, you know frigid water dumped on you by Jaden Grant and Rajon Wright, and to not even skip a beat. I mean, the guy just continued and exactly a big smile still on his face. Yeah, pretty impressive. So much fun to watch. Uh, a, a, another guy who. Uh, was getting his first opportunity to to speak with the media there in in Ryan Cooper Jr. As far as insight from the players go, Kyrie Fisher Morris drops drops knowledge bombs like nobody else. Um, what he said about defending Cameron Ward, very insightful. Disciplined eyes. That's I mean that's straight out of the mouth of Trent Bray. That's a that's a yeah, Trent yeah, Bray, that's a total Trent Bray right there. <laughs> um, but quick reactions, you know, when when Cam Ward gets the ball out quickly, like he does. Uh, you know, it's it's staying disciplined with your eyes and then going and making the play. And then he said, you know, it's it's kind of cliche, but, you know, it comes down to execution. And he was kind of he was either pressed on that a little bit or or he himself, you know, just kind of dove into it on his own. But he talked about John McCartan's sack at Stanford just being like the pinnacle of execution, saying, you know, he has one job on that play. He has to make a read. If this happens, it's boom, go make a sack. And sure enough, he he did his job. He did just that. And it said Oregon stayed up with a chance to win that game. Again, a play that I think will just go criminally underviewed and and under-talked about and, and under-recognized and under-appreciated. John McCartan's sack saves that game. Um, and so I, I thought it was cool that that Kyrie kind of talked about that as being like, that's exactly what we, what we mean when we talk about execution. No, it was um, great. Kyrie's always a good interview. Him and Kipper are two of our, our favorite go-tos. Absolutely. Uh, as far as the coaches that we spoke with, uh, Kafensa Hinson and Jake Cookus, Angie, what stood out to you from, from those two interviews? Because I know I, I made a couple of notes. Yeah. Kafensa is just an interesting dude. I mean, talk about a cerebral. If you were to talk to him, you'd think he's a college professor and not <laughs> a football coach. Um, and I liked what he said about the the bold, you know, the, um, not the bolden, the final. Harrison. Harrison. About, but that was basically like what they teach those guys to do, go up and get the ball. And so I like how he kind of broke that down. Jake Cookus was happy with special teams. I I don't know. I don't really think you can be happy with some of those stupid mistakes, but whatever. I, I think he was more speaking to uh, the return game and some of what they've been able to create there. But he did point out the, the field goals as well. You know, Atticus Sappington stepping in and, and actually doing a pretty good job. I think he's, what, four for six since stepping in for, for Everett Hayes, which, you know, he's missed a 40-yarder. And, and those, you know, that's where the quote-unquote money is made. But, um, no, he's he has been relatively solid, as, as solid as a backup kicker can be. Um, Kofensa Hinson, the note that I made there, is that he said that Harrison's catch was the best catch he's ever seen. That is true. He did say that. So mm -hmm. is, it, is that your way of saying that you don't agree? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, it was, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I can say best ever. It was pretty damn good though. Pretty damn exciting. Yeah. Uh, let's move but into the keys to the ever. game. I mean. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a superlative. That is, that's, that's taken it. I, I would have to actually like sit and think. Because then, then you're opening it up, though, you know, like to Tom Brady and some of the, like, I mean, there's been some, or even Oregon State, Brandon Cooks, Marcus Wheaton, James Rogers. There's I don't know, there's been some good there. ones. Anyway, no, but it's right up there. All right, we're going to touch, we're going to, we're going to go to keys to the game here. Okay. We're three quarters through the show and, and we've got some damn questions to answer. At I the know, end. we got a lot. I, I threw that through. out there on Twitter and I said, all right, I'm going to commit myself to, to okay, getting through the show so we can hit on them. Okay, um, let's go. Keys to the game offensively. Angie, let's let's have you open this thing up. Well, I think Washington State's going to load the box. So I want to see my key to the game is A, again, hold on to the ball and keep turnovers to a minimum, but also get some quick slants, screens, um, just quick hits to back the Cougars up. That's Particularly if Ben Branson's in at quarterback? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said there for just getting getting confidence instilled with with those guys, and and really, I think whoever's at quarterback this week, it's it's all about building confidence, right? Yeah. And, and more yeah. so for for Chance, just because you, you look at his last what six quarters of play, and it's six picks and a couple of losses. Ben, I think 
the confidence might not be lacking with him just after the way that he yeah, led that yeah. comeback the fourth quarter. He actually, you know, you look at his stat line, he actually played very well he at did. Stanford, save for the four sacks. I, I think the sacks are tough, but I think some of those are just, and I think he will be better this week because I think it is just an experience thing with him and, and needing to feel for the pocket. Just like um, Jamie just talked about not being an FCS team for Cam Ward. Yep. You know, this is this is uh, Ben's first first time, you know, Pac-12 football, and uh, maybe it's a little quicker than he's he's used to. This isn't Newbury Park High School, that is for this sure. This is not. <laughs> so what, All right. My so, offensive key to the game, uh, I, I it's three words. Keep it positive. This okay. isn't this isn't just limited to um, to execution or to you know the mental side keeping it positive. I, I specifically kept it vague. Keep it positive because I think that you know the confidence piece is there's there's a, an element of that and especially the, the first the first three quarters at Stanford felt like this team's morale was maybe lacking a little bit. So keep it positive on that end, um, but more so keep it positive in terms of you just you can't afford to take negative plays against Washington state. I mean, this is such an aggressive defense with, as Jamie mentioned, a a front seven that is just loaded with talent. I I mean, they have tackles for loss for, for days over there. Um, Oregon state actually went into the week or went into the Stanford game on a three week sackless streak, gave up the four and, and the eight tackles for loss. Still though, Oregon state has allowed the seventh fewest sacks in FBS over the last two seasons. And as we said earlier, Washington State is 11th nationally in sacks, so something's got to give there, right? And and you know if you're if you're Oregon State's offensive line, if you're Ben Branson, you have to make sure that it's the other stat that's that's exactly you know, exactly uh, that's going the other way. So I, I think if Oregon State allows eight tackles for loss, four sacks again, this Might is a defense a that could shut them out. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm at offensively. Okay, defensively. Uh, yeah, let's switch, switch to the other side. I'll, I'll let you go first again here. Sack City, baby. Sack City. That's where I'm going with my defensive key to the game. Uh, let's pause real quick to throw Roger's comment up here. You're going to give RG3 a run for his money with your keys to the game. <laughs> Keep it positive. What You like the one-liners? You like the dad jokes? There you go. Okay, what can I well, say? Well, then Sack City. There you go. Yeah. There was a little bit of thought that went into that. So we'll say it. Uh, okay, so so get get into the backfield is, is what Angie says from the, the defense. No, I, I said Sack City. Come on, Carter. Get sack it right. City. She said Sack City. So, okay, so this actually raises a, a really good conversation, I think. Okay. Because my key to the game is to contain the pocket a la okay. the USC game. Okay, yes, yes. Now... Obviously, Oregon State didn't get many sacks in that game. They were playing to keep Caleb Williams contained, but the pressure was absolutely there. I mean, yes. Oregon State's front seven was just completely no. unleashed. Okay, maybe I should have said that. I want this defense to play like they did against USC. Okay, but to bring Cam Ward down, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that yeah. that's always the goal. But yes, I want sacks. Yeah, because well, because I, I think there's, there's a fine line and, and there's a balance between when you're playing a quarterback like this, who I don't think it's any stretch to compare him to Caleb Williams, as far as his ability to get out of the pocket. I mean, this guy's not going to win the Heisman trophy. Like Caleb Williams is, is probably going to be in contention to do so. Um, But similar quarterbacks in that you can get all the pressure you want on them, but they've got the ability to get out of the pocket and not only escape a sack, but to pick up 30 yards. Yeah. With and that's scramble. been, I mean, Oregon think back to Taylor Green too yeah, against yeah, you know, yeah. Boise state. Very similar. So I, yeah, I mean, you're, you're containing the pocket is very, so yeah. I mean, it's, I, I was trying to keep it simple, but um, I mean, sacks obviously are good, but I agree. I think Cam Ward can move. I don't, I wouldn't put him in the same category as Caleb Williams. Um, and I don't put their O-line as good as USC. So that's where I think Oregon State needs to build some confidence and, and get in that backfield. So let's let's say you're in the Valley Football Center. You're in Trent Bray's office right now. And and you're the one calling the shots. How do you approach it? I mean, look at what Oregon State did against USC. Didn't get home, but, but got all of the pressure and still managed to keep Caleb Williams contained. I mean, like... Yeah, he he avoided sacks, but he didn't necessarily pick up positive yards all the time. But then the next week, you're going up against Cam Rising. You lay off the pressure a little bit, 
but you do a really good job of containing him, except for those designed quarterback runs. Which approach do you take against Cam Ward? Do you do you play? I, the I like the USC. Style? I like I like okay. the USC aggressive style because I think that got him in in a hostile environment like like Reeser should be for homecoming, just like it was for USC. I think that already kind of takes you out of your element. And then if you're bringing pressure from every which way and he doesn't know where it's coming, plus he can't hear himself think, I, I think that's where you need you need to get him rattled. And I, that's where I think you start bringing guys. Leave a spy on him at all times, whether that's Kyrie, whether that's a John McCartan. Have someone spy him at all times. But um, I, I, I'd love to see Jay, you know, Katon come. I'd like to see Jay, um, Jane Grant um, bring bring guys from every direction. I completely him- agree. Yeah, no, I'm 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 right on board with that. I just think, you know, at the end of the day, USC scored 17 points and, and Utah scored 42 something worked against USC that, that didn't against Utah. Okay, but I would, I would counter that with three picks that let the led to 42 or 21 points. That's yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair, but uh, I would counter that with, okay, look at how many rushing yards came rising had. True. True. So yeah, Oregon state. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Oregon state played Caleb Williams better than yes. it played cam rising. And that's, that's the point I'm trying to make here is yeah. whatever they did against USC worked better yes. than it did against Utah. And so I think, you know, whatever you changed in your game plan from, from USC week to Utah week, hit the rewind button, go back and, and unleash the, the front yes. seven like you did against the Trojans. Yes. Okay. Let's take a look around the Pac-12. We've okay. only got a few minutes left few here minutes. on on this episode, so let's uh, let's take a trip down the West Coast. Okay, Cal Cal Colorado. Cal is a fifteen point favorite. You taking Cal? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this That's is it's pick. it's officially fade Colorado season, yes. and I'll tell yes. you what. Oregon State closing the the first quote unquote half of the season, going into the bye week with a game against Colorado. Perfect. I love it. it. I love it. Okay. Arizona is a 14-point dog at Washington. 2.30 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. Um, I wanted to mention this. All of the good games this week are later on in the evening. Total disservice to the Pac-12. USC Utah at at 5 p.m. Like, yeah, I get that's only 8 p.m. on the East Coast, but think about what just happened with Oregon State and Stanford. How many Oregon State fans were like, eh, I'm done watching this at halftime. Exactly. That's a that's a top twenty matchup that will probably decide who's in the Pac twelve title, and it's at five p.m. Yes. My two cents there. Uh, we're, yeah, I was I was looking too far ahead. Arizona, yes. a, a fourteen point dog at Washington. That's a tough call. Yeah, I, I know. I think Washington's better. Yeah, but I think Arizona is too. So Stanford is a seventeen point dog at Notre Dame on NBC. Jack Collins is any, on the does call. anybody does anybody care about either of these teams? <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, here's the thing. Notre Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame's playing so much better the last couple of weeks than they, they did in the beginning there. That's not the same Notre Dame team that lost to Marshall. I'll tell you yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of those weird, you know, Stanford and USC always play Notre Dame and it really doesn't mean anything in the, the grand scheme of the PAC 12, but it's always fun to watch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then this one, this one's yeah. interesting that USC is a three and a half point dog at Utah. So does that does that surprise you? Because I'll tell you what, after the after Utah played Oregon State, I said Utah's gonna beat yeah, USC. I, well, like, I think like they, Utah I think, should enter that yeah. game as a favorite. Yeah. But then UCLA happened. Yeah. And my perspective is a little bit flipped here. You know, USC's still a very good team. Utah's still good for sure, but I mean, did not look great against UCLA no, at they time. Didn't. Um okay, so I just think they're a more well, solid team though. Let's pick this game because this is okay. the game of the week in the Pac-12 okay. and, and one of the, the games of the week in, in the country. Um, straight up and against the spread. You have a you have a, a play here? I'm, I'm going to see both. Okay. So USC by oh, actually, at least three and a half is what you're saying. No, I'm sorry. I I actually think Utah's going to win. Sorry. Okay. Oh, by wait, no, no, no. Than, yeah, Utah, Utah's a favorite. Yeah. Utah's, okay. Yeah. So do you? So you've got Utah winning, but do you have yes. them covering? Okay. Yes. So yes. Utah sorry. By more than a field goal. Yes. All right. Because I just, um, I just, I love USC's talent. I just think Utah's a stronger team, top to bottom, offense and defense. A more complete team. Yeah. I mean that yes. that Utah defense has been exposed for sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, Oregon it, State gave Utah the blueprint to beat USC. Of course. I mean, the Oregon State. I, I look back I mean, at that game and I say, man. I know. Ooh. What what would like 
the conversations we'd be having about Oregon State right now if it did win one of those two games, so much different. Um, yeah, that's the that's the game of the week in the Pac-12, and then the finale is a 6 p.m. game. There's no Pac-12 after dark this week. Uh, Washington State comes into Reeser as a 3.5 point dog against the Beavers. What do you what do you think? I I think the wrong team's favored. I'll say it. Yeah, I I do too. Um, I I did. My, my picks and seriously, I think it's a toss up game, Carter. I think it's a complete toss up. Um, I do think Oregon State's crowd's going to help them. We saw it, you know, play a play a huge role in that USC game. Obviously, getting Caleb Williams all out of sorts, forcing Lincoln uh, Lincoln Riley to, to burn his three timeouts midway through the second quarter. Very much a factor. This is a homecoming crowd. It's sold out again. Um, you know, they've got those crazy speakers above my head in the press box. Atmosphere is going to be great. There's, there's yeah. no doubt about yeah. that. And um, I, I think obviously, you know, that's, that's why Vegas makes Oregon state a three point favorite. It's on a neutral field. These teams are, are exactly even this is a coin flip game, but it's at research. So you get the three points and, and that's where that comes from. And I worry about Ben going up against that, that defense, but, but yeah, I think the crowd, I think the crowd maybe, maybe pull, puts them over the edge. Yeah. All right, let's get out of here with a damn question, right? Okay. We, we don't we don't have a full segment here. Um, a couple did come in on Twitter. I, I put this out here about a half hour before we went live. Let's let's maybe touch on two of them. We can we can okay. go a little over the hour. Um, yeah, first I one. Think they're they're good. Yeah, first one comes from Beefan ninety five. Uh, this is something that that I've wanted to, to touch on on the pod for the last couple of weeks is the the decommitments on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beef, this is and this is Angie's area right here. So I'll let you totally tackle this and. Uh, make this make this your question to answer. Right, have the decommit? First of all, take us through the, who has decommitted yeah, in, so, in the last couple of weeks, and and do you see it as a problem, or does it free up scholarships to you know to get some some more immediate type guys? That's that's the question that Bfan ninety five asks on Twitter. Yes, yeah, so it, it it's both. To be honest, um, I I don't think it's a problem yet because Oregon State's lost two: William, the blanket Lee, um, a JUCO. DB and then also Jalen O'Neill. So, so a couple things. So guys can commit to a school and the coaches are still watching film and, and watching to see how they're doing to make sure they're still growing, make sure that they still feel like they're a PAC 12 athlete or fit the system. So sometimes schools cut ties with guys and just say, Hey, it might be better if you look a different way, um, better for everybody. You'll find a place where you can find more playing time. Other times guys start blowing up because their film is so good um, and they start getting calls and recruiting. William Lee was one that I felt he was pretty soft commit from the get-go. He's from the Midwest. Um, he started taking a bunch of visits, and, and he likes the hype. He he's went to on Kansas State, right? Is, K is State, he, yeah. He took, a, he took a trip to Kansas State, and I know that the fan base there has been really heavy on him on Twitter. Yeah, and I, I heard that he might have picked up an offer from Florida State as well. So um, you know, sometimes these guys love the attention, and it just maybe isn't a good fit. So. It's, it's both. So it does free up scholarships um, for, you know, different prospects because then the coaches have also been watching film of guys that have looked really good and maybe don't have an offer so they can kind of shuffle things around that way. So um, neither of these two kind of really broke me up. It's, it's not like it's going to ruin the class. Um, and they, at least they did it early and now the coaches can go out and look for some, some new faces. We'll end the pod with this. EB Hoops on Twitter, a great friend of the show, asks, bigger consequence, not taking a high school quarterback along with Tristan Jebby in 2019 or missing on Sam Vidlak in 2021? No. This this is a this is a thought experiment right here. Oh, I, okay. I haven't had time to think about this, but I'm, I'm curious what your well, thoughts yeah, you're are. Just, you're just throwing it at me. I think not taking a prep. You know, that's this. If I had one criticism of the staff over the past five five seasons, it's the poor recruiting of quarterbacks when you consider Jonathan Smith is your head coach and Brian Lindgren is your quarterback offensive coordinator. I, I think the staff has not done a great job in landing. And I'm not saying they have to get a five-star, you know, five-star guy, but they might um, have one. They, yes. They well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that Aiden Giles is amazing to watch, but finally <coughs> it, it just has taken a long time. We both coughed there at the same time. That was <coughs> and I'm looking for my mute. All right. Well, Angie's coughing. I, I'm going to yes. wrap this thing up. Uh, we've we've taken up far too much of your time on this Thursday. 
go watch some Thursday night football, please. Just just go watch a defensive battle. Um, yeah, we'll be back on Sunday. We'll recap this game. We'll recap Oregon State versus Washington State. We'll talk about all of the action in Corvallis. A big one, a big one for both teams. There's no way around it. This definitely has Pac-12 standings implications. Uh, four and two teams has some bowl eligibility impl- implications as well. I think both teams do make a bowl, but there's a lot on the line here for sure. And and uh, one of the the long losing streaks at Oregon State uh, that is that is yet to fall is is on the line as well. But we'll be back on Sunday to recap that. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Baines and go ahead and follow Jamie Vinnick nine too, uh, for all of that great insight. He dropped earlier on in the show. We're going to be back on Sunday for another episode of the damn podcast. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.